you will only, as of 2035, be able to buy an alternative fuel vehicle. There's only two types, right? There's electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles, and then there's another technology called fuel cell electric right. vehicles that uses hydrogen, combustible hydrogen, that turns into electricity via a fuel cell. The science is complicated, but it's really promising. And there's a whole class of driver for whom battery electric vehicles is not either very appealing or not very practical. And so the, the, the consensus right now is in order to get to a fully decarbonized, right, non-internal mm-hmm. combustion fleet, probably 60% lend themselves well to battery electric vehicles. But the others, the other 40% are probably going to have to be something else. And that something else right now is fuel cell electric vehicles. Welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today, we're glad to be joined by Senator Josh Newman. Senator, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Going well. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks good, for having me. Good to finally connect yeah. here again. Um, you know, for those of the listeners that that don't know your background, can you kind of tell us, like, what were you doing before you decided to run for, for Senate in 2016? What was I doing? Um, I, you know, I'm an Army vet, uh, worked in a bunch of things, including digital media for a number of years. And what I was doing before I decided to run as a veteran in, in around 2012, I got really interested in the question about why young veterans coming home from other places to mm-hmm. California, uh, having served, especially during the, during two very long wars, were having so much trouble finding work. Uh, and so I got to work trying to put together an initiative to help vets, connect vets to employers that could you know, benefit from their talents. Uh, and through that, I got very involved in the local advocacy community. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of led to meeting a bunch of elected people. Um, who always said nice things about veterans, but, uh, you know, often their follow-up wasn't good. Um, and so uh, there was a moment, I think, in 2015, where I was grousing about that. My wife uh, kind of goaded me into thinking about running by saying, like, you know, if you really want to change things, our state senators turned out in 2016, which I was impressed that she knew that. Right. It turns out she didn't mean it. She's regretted it a million times. Uh, but she'll admit that she's the one, <clears throat> excuse me, who gave me the idea. Uh, and that's 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 what got me thinking about running in 2016. So you were c- career military when when did no you- no I wasn't career no? military at all. I was I was a, I, I went from college, <clears throat> I went to school at Yale, and I was the only kid in my class who joined the the army after graduation. Uh, <clears throat> and I was interested in kind of going seeing a part of the world mm-hmm. that I'd read about, right? I'd read right. about in books, but I hadn't seen. Uh, and so I served I served from 1986 to 1990. I uh, got out as a captain, uh, and then you know did a bunch of stuff, uh, but not career by any means. So, you know, you just quickly said there, you went to Yale. Did you go to Yale with anyone that you're currently serving with? Uh, no, I think Yale members of the legislature, or I guess broader, <clears throat> Yale graduates, Rob Bontas, a Yale yep. graduate, our attorney general, Cotty Petrie Norris, uh, my colleague, is younger than I am. He's a Yale graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I was a year behind Steve Mnuchin. Uh, whom I don't know. Um, and I was a year ahead of Brett Kavanaugh, yeah. whom, whom I also don't know. Uh, <laughs> Good. And, 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 and I was in the same class. I found a recent guy yeah. named Joe Tsai, uh, who owns right. the New York Nets and is apparently worth like several billion dollars. Right. Don't know that guy either, right? So you uh, I'm obviously a huge underachiever. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, you're, you're in the military. Uh, you get out in 1990. Then kind of what did you start doing? So I, I actually, my first, um, you know, real job, I wound up kind of stumbling into an opportunity offered the chance to work on a mayoral campaign in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the candidate I worked for wound up winning. Uh, so I went from being like intern to issues director to deputy press secretary. So what is that, Frank Jordan? Frank Jordan. Yeah. You're, you're good at your mayors. Yeah, so Frank Jordan, former chief of police, um, and, and was a surprise kind of underdog success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then wound up working for a couple of years for the mayor of San Francisco. 
Um, and I, you know, I'd been a, a, a politics and government kind of, you know, I was a history major at Yale, but I studied, that was my emphasis, 20th century American politics. And I will admit that I was continually shocked that, that, you know, politics didn't work like all the books right. I read in college. So I, I, I think I got kind of disillusioned and I think, I think I had a moment where I realized I probably don't have really have the temperament uh, for public service because I, you know, probably talk too much. Um, and so wound up had a, I mean, you're getting the whole story. So I had a girlfriend at the time who wanted to move to Southern California. Uh, and she wanted to work in the film business. Right. And so I was like, okay, let's go do that. Uh, so we both moved down to LA area. Uh, we broke up like two weeks later. Uh, and I wound up working, uh, in film and TV for, you know, started out as just kind of a large for about six years, uh, worked on a bunch of movies and television shows, some of which you may have seen, uh, like the nanny and some other oh, things. Yeah, yeah. And so my real claim to fame it follows me around. Uh, was I worked on the movie Austin Powers, the first oh, Austin Powers. Oh, nice. Right. And I am, just because somebody didn't show up and I fit the uniform, right. I'm one of the security guards who gets shot by the fembots in that that one scene. So you, nice. you can look it up on YouTube. It's very brief. Uh, but that's that's basically my crowning achievement in the entertainment world. And do we have the IMBD credits to go with it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I've got a you know, bunch of credits. And yeah. A bunch of, bunch of the, you know, the Brady Bunch sequel movie, a movie called Brady, uh, uh, um, Baby Geniuses, yeah. another movie called City of Industry that, you know, like, like they make a lot of movies. I worked yeah. on a bunch. Yeah. Any, any good stories well. uh, working with Michael Myers and the, the crew there? Uh, you know, you, when you work in a movie, you're seeing a, a, you know, a version of it, you know, kind right. of all cut in different directions. So I, I will admit, um, and this was the first Austin Powers, mm. right? There were multiples. Right. I, I was convinced that it was a dog. Right? Like, you know, I had a right. bet with I had a bet with the guy who worked for me. Like the movie we worked on about the babies who could talk, like that's genius, right? right. Like that's gonna make a lot of money. Get away way more money than this thing. Um and you know, this did winds up being kind of an iconic movie. Um and because I'm in it for like five seconds, mm -hmm. you know, my colleagues think that's cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're much cooler. Now well, too. you know, of course, of course. <laughs> I'll get less cool as we, yeah. as we move along. So like, yeah. I, I remember, so you're running in, in, in 20, was it 20, 2016, 2016 mm -hmm. uh, right in the midst of the craziness of 2016. And, and, you know, this was a, a Republican seat, right? And you <clears> kind of came in as a surprise and your claim to fame was, is that you wore a bear costume uh, to yes get elected. No. Yes right? and no. Yeah. So, so the, the myth up here in Sacramento is uh -huh. that, you know, to, to give it context. So I, I was running and I was the third guy in, there was a, you know, established Democrat, established Republican, and, and I was new guy. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and I, I thought I had a pretty good case, right. You know, veteran business guy, all that stuff, centrist in a district that was kind of a toss up by then. It was probably like, like, you know, R plus one when I started, it was like D plus one by the time the election came around. So it was in transition, but I thought I had a you know pretty good case to make. <clears throat> but what I, what I get a lot of attention for, what I did at the time was I had this idea, my, here's the story. My, my wife and I were, were doing this deliberate thing. We were going around the district, you know, every weekend to get to know it, right? You know, right. Like, like that Stephen Colbert thing, like got to know a district. So we'd go out to a different restaurant, a different city. There's 16 cities in Senate District 29. And, and one night we were out, we had Peruvian food or something in Diamond Bar. And my wife said, hey, there's a there's an ice cream place nearby that's really cool. It's called Afters. It's in Chino Hills, one of the cities. It's an outdoor mall. And so we went, and this place, Afters, if you've never been there, it's it's one of these places that kind of serve you like artisanal ice cream, mm. right? And then they roll it up in like cereal, like, you know, Lucky Charms. Right. And then the, the coup de gras was they put it in a donut, right? They press <laughs> it into a donut. So it was like, oh, like you know, like a diabetes right. special. And, and it's pretty good, right? But it's kind of gross if you yeah. think about it. So we go there and it's on a Saturday night and there's all, there's a line was like, you know, a hundred yards long, all these young people obviously out on dates. 
And so my wife says to me, like, hey, you're running. Like, why don't you go talk to these people? Tell them you're running right. for a state senate. And I said, like, like they're all on dates, right? They, nobody wants to talk to me, you know, on their Saturday night thing. And just then these two kids walked by and they were in costumes. Uh, and then I remember there was a young woman dressed in kind of a princess costume. And she was with a guy and the guy had a dog outfit on, like yeah. a dog costume. <clears throat> and I noticed all of the kids were getting out of line to have a selfie taken with dog kid, right? So I said, I said to my wife, I was like, that's what I need. I need a mascot, right? If I had a mascot, like right. I could walk around with my mascot and everybody, you know, I could get people to take, they take their picture. I capture the email. I could, you know, I worked in internet stuff, did a lot right. of marketing stuff at the time. And so I said to my wife, what do you think? She said, I think that's a stupid idea. And I said, well, you're, you're not the target demo. Like maybe, you know, talk to other people. So I, I want to talk to the younger people. They're like, you know, that's kind of an interesting idea. So I went online and I found a company that sold college mascot costumes. Mm -hmm. They had the whole, you know, portfolio of all the different animals. And I thought, you know, California, bear. Right. So I, within the bear category, there were all these different choices. So I, <laughs> I opted for California grizzly bear instead of like mama bear and Joey bear. Right. And so the thing came in the mail um, and it was really professional, right? It was this big head, right? And the, you know, made a paper mache or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the body was like really heavy. And by then it was like April. And so this is where the mist starts. So I thought, you know, like, wow, I'm going to hire some kid, right. put him out like in a bear costume and they could like get heat stroke because right? mm -hmm. it was everything. So I thought I'll lead by example, you know, I was in the military. So I went out one day and I thought like, I'll test it just to see if I'm going to kill somebody in this thing. So I went out and, it, and I remember it was in Anaheim. And it was on the corner of Catella and Beach. Uh, and I stood with a big vote for Newman sign on the intersection right. of, a, of a, it's, you know, deliberately. It was an, it was an intersection that got a lot of traffic. Right. <clears throat> and I stood out there with the costume on, feeling like the biggest jackass in the world, kind of waving, thinking like. That's right by Disneyland, right? Like, Well, no, it's going west. It's going okay. kind of away from, it's going like to the more working right. class part of, of of Anaheim, like where it hits Stanton. Mm. And so I, and I thought like, this is like really embarrassing. Then I realized like, nobody knows who right. I am. Like, they don't know. No pressure. And I, and, I, and I realized it was a good idea. People were waving. And I remember the woman blew me a kiss. Like, I was yeah. like, well, that's awesome. And I, and I realized I, I had a good idea when I saw, I saw a UPS truck coming down the street and I could see the driver and he was like, you know, big burly dude yeah. with like a tank top and all these tattoos. And he started waving at me like a little boy, like, hi, yeah. hi, like that. So I thought that's a good idea. Right. So I wound up hiring a bunch of kids off craigslist right. right and surprise they had a lot of turnover <laughs> turns out it's not that awesome to stand in a bear costume in the heat but I, I never hurt anybody and by the end of the primary season i i had these these two young people that worked for me they were super reliable and and it was a guy and his girlfriend uh, and he'd go out in the costume and she'd stand next to him he would wave and have the sign and she'd mm -hmm. hand out pamphlets at like intersections people stopped and and then i wound up finishing second ahead of the other Democrat in the primary. And I, so I got the costume back as of June primary. We had a bunch of time. And I found out why they were so reliable because the costume reeked of marijuana, right? So they clearly <laughs> they were getting a little baked and standing right. out there. Time flies apparently like when you're doing it that way. But the reason it became like my, you know, thing I was known for was uh, the wrap up article in the Orange County Register, right? I was the surprise story mm -hmm. that kind of nobody guy beat um, the Democrats choice I mean, who outspent me spent me seven to one had all the endorsements right. um and so martin whiskle who was then the the political reporter for the register you know called me and he did a wrap-up story how'd you do it and i kind of you know said the obvious like i think i had a good case to make blah 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 and so then he he, he called me back about 15 minutes later and said hey there's a picture of a of a guy in a bear suit on your website do you mind if i use that if, if we take that and use that in our story and i said sure no problem and then he texted me like 10 minutes later and said hey josh is that you in the bear suit 
And and I didn't really think much about it. I said, yeah, you know, I wrote back, yeah, that was me on that particular day, but only because I didn't have anybody else right. time to wear the bear suit. But that got, got kind of construed in this article that like kooky dude, yeah. right? Like walked around in bear suit. Right. And, right. And you, you know, we all know that story about like, you know, somebody in a little town in like Montana runs uh, their cat for mayor and right. everybody votes for it. But so when I started coming up here, during, you know, the general season, everybody was like, well, wow, you're the crazy dude yeah. <laughs> in the bear suit. And and I I wore the suit, I swear to God, like all of four times, uh-huh. right? You know, and, and I, you know, I could sort of figure out the four specific times. But one time it was just like to train a new guy right, right. or whatever. Um, but that that has sort of stuck, you know, as part of my political persona right. somehow. Aura, and, yeah. you know, and then when the I meet legend people, of Josh I'm, on, I'm on a podcast. Right. So if you're not, if you're not watching this, if you're watching this, you can see I'm like the most average dude yeah. in the world. Uh, and so I'm not, you know, it, it just seemed like good marketing. And so right. it, it was among the various things I've done by way of marketing. Uh, you know, politics is a kind mm-hmm. of marketing where you just thought if you have to get people's attention, right. And you don't have a lot of money in that case in that time, but more broadly, like people are so jaded uh, by most political stuff uh, that I've tried any number of, you know, things that are kind of unconventional. So we, before that I had this remote control blimp, right? right. Which was cool, but people had to look up, right? right. So, so it was kind of limited in its impact. Uh, during the recall campaign, I had this pedal bike thing. I thought was a good idea. Mm. It didn't work. Um, and then the last campaign I have, I, and I still have it. I have an ice cream truck uh, that's branded better Senator ice cream, right? You deserve a better Senator ice cream sandwich. Uh, and we, we've taken that thing around. I've given out like 125,000 ice cream sandwiches at this point. Um, and, Turns out people love ice cream and they love the price. It's free. That's awesome. So like this is this is kind of our, our favorite time of year where we got a, lot, a bunch of people running, a bunch of close races, uh, a bunch of propositions. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the campaign consultants go to is, is mail, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to mail stuff. Mm-hmm. We have all this new stuff, digital advertising, uh, Instagram, Facebook. My mm-hmm. kid's uh, YouTube account is is blaring with Dave Jones uh, commercials. But you're like the one candidate who goes out there who's trying new kind of uh, novel things, kind of, what are you seeing that works and, and doesn't work and kind of, uh, you know, what, what should people be looking at now that they're not? So, so, you know, politics is funny because you get, you get one shot, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you, you can't, you know, in, in the internet stuff, you'd ABT stuff. Right. Like, let's do two versions of something, see what works. But when you're running, like everybody, you, you know, who's got, who's brave enough to say, I'm not going to do X or Y right. of all the things that have historically always been deployed. And so there's this there's this kind of adage in advertising that's attributed to a guy named Wanamaker that had a department store in Philadelphia, that, and he allegedly said, like, we know for a fact that 50% of our, our advertising budget doesn't work. We just don't know which 50%. Right. And, and I think that applies to politics in space. And so I, I'm, you know, I think as jaded as anybody at this point when it comes to various, you know, conventions in, in political advertising uh, or campaigning. And so I, I'm not sure mail works very well. Um, I, I know it's very expensive. I know who makes money off it. Uh, but I know also that I, as the recipient of political mail, I don't read any of it. Right. right? Trash. And, and I've actually had the experience of reading mail and thinking, well, that's bullshit. And I realized that's for me. Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's that's for me and my campaign. Right. And so, you know, I, I, you know, lots of affection for all the consultants that I know and with whom I've worked. Um, but I, I'm not really sure that if you think about it by way of like, what's your best yield, mm-hmm. you know, on the precious resource or the monies that you get from all the people who contribute. I, I, I'm not sure that mail works particularly well. Mm-hmm. Social media is one of these things that it's, it's ubiquitous, but you don't really know how much, you know, mind share attention you're getting from people. Right. Text messaging has become kind of the go-to thing, but you know, I, I must get 10 text messages a day. And part of me always feels like, well, you know, I'm a candidate. It's a golden rule. Like I should, I should, accept, you know, give all this stuff kind of my attention, but now I text back, stop to end, stop, stop, right. stop. Cause, because everybody's tired of it. 
And so, you know, there's that broader question, which is like, how, how do we connect to voters? And I, and I actually think it's an important question, irrespective of how you do it. But, you know, how do we engage the people who vote uh, so that, you know, you get known as a candidate? But more broadly, you know, if you think about what voting really is, voting is how we as, you know, citizens hire the people who work for us in the public sphere. And, you know, I'm all for anything that, that sort of reduces the barriers and gets, you know, the people who are running closer to the people who vote uh, so that we make smarter decisions. And part of that is incumbent among the candidate. But it's also true that the public has has a role to play in this as well. And so we're living in a weird time where the average person knows probably way more about the Kardashians, you know, mm-hmm. or about fantasy sports than they do know right. about their elected representatives or civic processes. And so, you know, it's a real problem. So I, I've never done anything just to be, you know, kind of unconventional for its own sake. It's really about to, to solve for that problem, which is, you know, how can I go out uh, and and first meet people, but then find a context to have a discussion with somebody about what's important to them and kind of what I have to offer uh, as a public servant? No, no, that's fascinating. Is you know, how do you get people's attention and hold it right? And, right. and that's something that you seem to kind of have grasped well, here. And I'll tell you what. So the ice cream truck thing, right, is is has been interesting because you know my my consultants, right, like mm. I have consultants like everybody else. Were, were just shocked and, you know, apparently like indignant, right, that I had spent so much money on an ice cream truck that I bought from some, some dude off Craigslist. And they were like, well, how much money did you spend on it? And I was like, it was $18,000. I paid a guy, oh. but I got a whole ice cream truck, right? And they were like, well, that's outrageous, right? Because we need that money for stuff, mail. stuff we do. <laughs> right. And I was like, listen, like your mail, right? Like it, right. it's $50,000 for one piece of mail that I'm never convinced that, that people really read, right. right? And even if they do, I wouldn't hold it against them that they said, like, it sounds like everybody else. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's work in progress, I think. But, you know, I, I have I had this idea for next legislative year. Um, you know, we should, we should, you know, anything you do to sort of put people closer to the voters, even if it's uncomfortable, I think it's a good thing. So, you know, two ideas we're exploring is legislation. One is when it comes to the ballot statement, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, if you, if you, if you uh, adhere to, Contribution limits, you get to put a ballot in the ballot book that everybody gets in the mail. Uh, but I, if you read those ballot statements, you know, it's pretty obvious to anybody that they were written by professionals, right? right. I can read them in my area and I could tell you which consultant wrote which ballot statement for, you know, a particular candidate. And so the idea is, is you know, to legislate that if you're going to have a ballot statement in the book, that you would have to actually go down to the registrar's office and sit in a room and write that thing out, you know, like you would in the driver's test. Yeah. Well, like, like in yeah. high school, like for yeah. an exam. Um, and you can say anything you want. I'll give you as much time as you want. Can't spell check it if I have my way. Not connected to the internet. You can memorize it mm-hmm. if you're smart enough to. But those would be your words. <clears throat> and I think people would actually find that a lot more interesting and illuminating. And and similarly, <clears throat> excuse me, um, another idea to create uh, a video uh, ballot statement, right? So, right. you know, we, we write these things, but everybody's doing everything, TikTok, et cetera, video. Like, wouldn't it be better if you could see two minutes of every candidate expressing themselves uh, same background, you know, not produced by anybody and say like, I'm Josh Newman, here's why I'm running. Uh, so exploring both of those things this year by way of legislation. No, yeah, that'd be interesting if you could go like an elections website, right? You could have a video and some information mm-hmm. about who mm-hmm. who's running and what they're about versus, and, you know, just reading this paper. Why not? Right? Yeah. I mean, why not? And, and so we had a call recently with Orange County is a very good registrar's office. Right. Uh, and they, you know, they were concerned about some of the mechanics or the resource constraints. 
but I think otherwise seemed receptive. It seems like a natural evolution of age. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah. You know, there's something you've you've raised a couple times now, as you said, you know, we have different problems and you are officially a problem solver. You're ahead of the problem solvers. I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm not the head. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm a One thing called of the problem the solvers. leaders yeah. of the, not problem makers, but problem solvers. Kind of, how did you come to join and, and come to be a, a problem solver? So, so there's a thing um, in DC, right? In, right. in the, you know, at the federal level, uh, a group of legislators, I think it's give or take 50, um, who call themselves the Problem Solvers Caucus. And the goal there is to, you know, to find a, a, a bicameral basis to, to look at problems and, you know, find solutions that, that, that otherwise, you know, uh, are, are, are offset or uh, undermined by partisan politics. Uh, and so Adam Gray, uh, you know, two years ago, as I was coming back, into office, you know, got a hold of me and said, "Hey, we're we're trying to create something similar at the at the state level," um, and uh, you know, for my part, after he explained it, it makes sense to me, right? So, w- one of the defining features of being here in Sacramento is is the lack of uh, kind of interaction we have between the parties, and to a lesser extent between the houses. Um, and so, you know, for my part, I thought like that's cool. Like let, let's create a space uh, where legislators from both houses, but also both parties, uh, can look at problems and see if there aren't. You know, you know, better bases for you know thinking about policy solutions that don't start with a partisan frame of reference. Right. Uh, and so, so I'm, I'm, you know, there's two of us, or there have been two of us over the first two years from the Senate, me and Senator Hurtado. Uh, and so I'm, I'm one of the co-chairs, uh, and then the prior co-chairs were Chad Mays and Jordan Cunningham, and they, they both turned out. Uh, so their replacements are Heath Flora and Carlos Villapudua. So we, we are collectively, you know, the chairs of this effort, mm-hmm. and. As the new class comes in, we're, you know, we're going to go out and try to recruit, you know, hopefully somewhere around 15 members uh, that are uh, open-minded, right? Everybody's going to have an R or a D, uh, but that are interested and, and willing, you know, to be part of kind of this, you know, this sort of slightly different effort to say like, hey, you know, certain problems that have always been uh, either informed by politics or, or, or prevented uh, from solution by partisan politics. Right. Uh, you know, and, and they're pretty obvious, right? Campaign finance reform, climate, uh, housing, a bunch of other things. Um, well, you know, what if we started from a different point? What might, might we come up with that we could turn into uh, legislation? So it's been a really interesting experience so far. Yeah, you know, you mentioned like there's kind of like these, I don't know if you want to call them third rails or something like these things that we, we've we had to fix, right? We know mm-hmm. we have to fix it, like homelessness, housing, mm-hmm. climate change, uh, and and they can get partisan, right? They can get, there's a, there's like a, a block in the road. Like we can't get around this rock. Like how, right, how right. do we do it? But you know, there, there's solutions out there. And I think kind of like, a, like homelessness has been a big one, right? Um, for years, this has been a problem. Uh, we've had money, we've had resources, we've thrown resources at it and it's not getting any better. And so it's kind of like, right, you know, how do right. we get to the root of the issue to find out you know, what, what is the problem and how do we solve it? Right. And I guess if you ask the question, like, you know, are these inherently partisan mm. problems that, you know, do they, do they need inherently right. partisan solutions? I mean, the answer is clear homelessness, clearly not. Right. Um, but because of, you know, kind of conventions and, and, and uh, assumptions, right. We, we often come at these things from a, a very partisan direction. And to your point, I mean, we, we have literally spent billions of dollars on homelessness and, and, and clearly not having the impact that anybody hoped. Uh, and these, these are very difficult you know, very challenging right. problems. I mean, homelessness is not one problem. It's a series of problems that kind of create the, the larger phenomenon. Uh, and so for my part, you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatic guy. And so I'm actually very proud in, in the last five years, I, I've gotten funding in, in each of, you know, the last budgets to fund a local regional, you know, effort to, to get at the root problems of right. homelessness. 
uh, and which is now really cool. It's it's eleven city collaborative kind of regional effort. Uh, we had the governor come down last week to look at it, and I, I think it's a good model uh, for prospective replication in other parts of the state. Uh, but th- that was really because we took the input of local officials, especially chiefs of police, about how to do this better, as opposed to the more conventional, like here we are in Sacramento, let's solve this problem from the top down. Yeah, you know, another issue kind of you brought up was was kind of climate. And kind of you've been a big uh, proponent of kind of alternative fuels, not just looking at electric or just one one solution for all. And kind of you did this SB 1329 kind of with with hydrogen vehicles and kind of hydrogen as a future kind of how can we meet, you know, these zero emission goals without using kind of alternatives like hydrogen and stuff like that? And why is why are these alternative means kind of kind of necessary to get where we want to go? Right. I, I guess part of the answer is that we can, you know, meet California's current. Um, decarbonization goals. So, you know, as of, I think, August, end of August, uh, the the California Air Resources Board mm. voted on a rule that as of 2035, the sale of new internal combustion engines will be prohibited in California, right? So by as a matter of policy, you will only as of 2035 be able to buy a, a you know, a, 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 an alternative fuel vehicle. There's only two types, right? There's electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles, and then there's, there's another technology called fuel cell electric vehicles right. that uses Hydrogen, combustible hydrogen that 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 you 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 know tr- that turns into electricity via a fuel cell, and, and the science is complicated, but it's really promising. Uh, and there's a whole class of driver for whom battery electric vehicles is n- not either very appealing or not very practical. Um, and so the, you know the, con- the the consensus right now is in order to get to a fully decarbonized right non internal mm-hmm. combustion fleet, probably sixty percent you know lend themselves well to battery electric vehicles. But the others, the other 40% are probably going to have to be something else. And that's something else right now is fuel cell electric vehicles. And so we're at the very beginning of creating, you know, an ecosystem, if you will, for people who drive a hydrogen fuel cell car like I do. Uh, But in order to do that, you need access to fuel. In order to have fuel, it has to get distributed to retail locations. And then it has to be produced, right? And ideally it has to be produced in kind of the cleanest way possible. So so California's goal is is to instigate the evolution the adoption of this technology to create an economy around it. Um, and so the bill that I did last year was, was to expedite the investments to have enough retail stations mm-hmm. so that we could meet the market. You know, there's sort of a bootstrapping thing that has to happen. You have to have enough uh, access to fuel for people right. who want to buy the car. You have to have enough cars on the roads for big companies right. like the energy companies, like Chevron, et cetera, to want to invest in the transition to these new fuel types. Um, and so once you get to kind of takeoff speed, if you will, it should be a self-sufficient platform, but we're not quite there yet. We've had the good fortune in the last couple of years that the state's budget has been really, really sound. I mean, the state's finances are really good. So I was hoping for, you know, let's expedite that development so that we can we can ensure that by 2035, uh, there's there's a fully functioning market uh, so that, you know, manufacturers like Toyota, Hyundai uh, will be able to sell cars to people who will then be able to buy fuel so that if you're a delivery driver, if you, you know, for certain other kinds of uses, like, you know, if you drive a pickup truck uh, and you work for yourself, mm. you, you do not have time to go charge your car, right? No. While you're, you know, doing your thing. Uh, and then other kind of, you know, more challenging energy intensive needs like trucking, like marine, you know, like aviation, all of those things are going to need a fuel source that's not battery electric. That's where hydrogen comes in. So, I, you know, I, I bought a car a couple of years ago deliberately to be part of this kind of emerging right. economy. And, and how's and your been, experience with it? It's been really interesting. And, and you know, so the car is awesome, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the best car I've ever owned. It goes it's super fast, right? Totally what, is it? what is it? It's, it's a, and let's make an advertisement <laughs> Toyota. So it's the Toyota Mirai. Mirai, yeah. Mirai means future in, uh, in Japanese. 
But it's it's basically it's a Lexus, right? It's a right. Lexus like ES three fifty that has been converted to to you know the hydrogen's the fuel right. source. And so totally quiet. It'll do a, it'll do well over the speed limit. Not going to tell you how far over the speed limit right. I've been. Uh, with with making no noise at all. It's a great car. The challenge is finding fuel, mm-hmm. right? And so you know we have it's about sixty stations across this big state. You know there's about six thousand gas stations, right? Which tells you kind of what you're up against. Um, and on any given day, you know it's it's often hard to find fuel because the, this you know the the whole kind of uh, supply chain hasn't really been worked out. So on the one side, it's great. I get to drive in the carpool lane. I get this awesome car. On the other hand, it's, you know, you're always trying to figure out like, where am I going? Right. How much fuel do I need? Uh, Cause it's, you know, if you have a battery electric car, you can go charge somewhere. It's either slower or faster. You got a hydrogen car, like you need hydrogen. It goes into your tank at 10,000 pounds per square inch. You know, AAA can't come to you on the side of the road right. with a bag of hydrogen. So, so we're, you know, hopefully we're getting there, but, but it's really important to get from here to there. We have to be really deliberate as a matter of policy mm-hmm. as legislators to make sure that we provide the resources and the incentives so that the market evolves the way we hope it will, the way that we've defined by law that we need it to. Right. Because we've incentivized uh, electric cars a lot, right? Like we've we've done yeah. a lot for Tesla and other manufacturers here in the state, incentivizing right. the, the purchase of these cars. Right. Uh, kind of what can we do for, for hydrogen and what are we doing? Right. So, you know, the, the first order of business is, is to, you know, to build out the infrastructure so that that manufacturers like Hyundai, like Toyota, want to sell these cars to our market. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if they do, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's really to the good for everybody. Uh, but you need, you know, you need a platform in place for that. So but as a matter of policy, California's policy as a result of Bill AB8 was, you know, passed, uh, I think in 2009, 2008, um, it's supposed to be neutral, right? You know, it's about zero emissions technology, not about battery, not about something else. Uh, but the emphasis has clearly been on batteries, right? And batteries have obviously captured the public's imagination, you know, in large part due to, I think, the success of Tesla and some other things. Um, but when you when you take into account the reality that that there's a whole slice of the the driving public, you know, that part of the transportation economy that doesn't work well for battery electrics, right. it, it, and also taking into account that like these investments are really big, and so you know, the, you know, and then you have the the grid demands. So hedging your bets, if you will, is is important. Um, and so, you know, my goal with that bill and kind of some of the other work I've done is just simply to make the, sure there's a level playing field. Right. Right. And and then then from there, let's let the market work it work itself out. It's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we're here celebrating California moving into the fourth uh, biggest economy in the world. But we've kind of gotten to the fourth kind of by default. Right. Like Germany's kind of taken a step back. Right. And a lot of it's because of energy problems. Right. Poor policy decisions they've made over there. That's kind of hamstrung them, right? They've put all their eggs in some basket. Uh, what can we do to kind of learn from that lesson? It's kind of, as you're seeing, like even the playing field, like let's not pull all our eggs and solar and batteries and kind of look right. at some of these alternatives. Well, so, so the, I, I'm always intrigued, you know, so we, you know, there's this meme, I guess, about, you know, the size of California's economy relative right. to other economies. And, and so it, it sort of, you know, asserts the least indirectly like that we're like a sovereign nation right. and we're not right. We're not, we're one of 50 no. States. Right. And so like, we're an awesome, you know, economic engine, but we're not really the fourth largest economy in, in the world. Right. I mean, we're one of 50 American States. So America is still the largest economy in the world. More importantly, when it comes to climate and energy, you know, irrespective of fourth or fifth, we are 3% of the world's emissions. Um, and so, so because we, we become kind of enamored of this idea that California is like, like its own country mm-hmm. or a world unto itself, we we we've fallen into this this kind of interesting. Uh, I don't want to call it a trap, but I guess it is this idea that we can solve the climate problems on our own. 
And, you know, we can certainly lead by innovation, right? And that's what California, I think, has historically done, especially by way of like fuel economy and some other really smart regulations that then get adopted by the rest of the country, right. rest of the world. But but we probably, we can't do these things on our own. And, and so we often conflate, uh, you know, sort of progress with salvation or purity. And, and that's a mistake in my view, because in, in the end, the market is going to decide in the end, you, you know, individual consumers have to have both a reason uh, and also the wherewithal to adopt these new technologies. And that's the balance I think you have to find. Um, and so I, I'm all for, you know, aggressive goals, but it's, it's, it's really the difference between encouraging innovation or, or this kind of false belief that, that we, California, can do this on our own. Uh, we can't. Uh, and, and to, you know, to the extent that we, we, you know, we create imbalances, mm-hmm. it's a real thing that, that, you know, the market gets to decide people can move to other States, uh, companies can move to other States. Right. If, if you make California's, you know, uh, uh, inputs too expensive, gasoline being one, um, y- you know, there are reasons for that. And I think you can justify them, but, but there's an upper limit that, that where you don't see a real return. In fact, you can see some really um, negative uh, unintended consequences. Yeah. Kind of speaking of unintended consequences, you know, we're here home to Silicon Valley, a lot of technology. And with that comes a lot of, a lot of batteries and kind of, what do you do with those batteries when, when you don't need them anymore? Yeah, you know, so I'm, glad, waste, I'm glad right? you asked having like sounded like, like not that, like not that, you know, right. in, in, in like invested in climate change solutions. And I am, don't get me right. wrong. Um, I, you know, I, I'm also, I'm proud. We did some work last year uh, in concert with assembly member, Jackie Irwin, uh, to to try and solve this this real problem of battery recycling mm-hmm. in California, right? So so if you, you just think about all the batteries in our lives these right. days, right? And so you've got two really two types: disposable batteries, you know, the little double A batteries yeah. that we use in all kinds of things. But then more recently, you know, lithium ion batteries that that are in all kinds of devices, and, and especially embedded in products that you buy, like even kids' toys, that come with a, a lithium ion battery. And there there's there's there aren't really good uh, structures for recycling those batteries. Uh, and so Jack and I carried two bills. Mine was uh, twelve fifteen um, to get to sort of split this problem and solve it. Um, her bill handles disposable batteries and creates a framework for uh, you know better access at retail. So if you have battery, everybody knows on some level you're not supposed to throw those batteries out. Uh, they are environmentally hazardous. The lithium ion batteries that people throw out are actually really dangerous. If they get crushed in a garbage truck, they can cause fires. If they get crushed at at, at a waste. A facility they, they cause massive fires that can disrupt everybody's uh, recycling, every, you know, all the waste management. Um, and so, we, you know, the goal is to kind of solve for that problem while creating uh, a regime to, to recycle batteries. So my bill uh, creates a new process within the Cal waste system, uh, the e-waste process, uh, to smartly figure out, create incentives to take those batteries, uh, get them to a recycling center, either, the, you know, the kinds you have in your community or right. the ones, or the programs run by like your local church or school, or whatever, where they'll they take your e-waste and then we pay them for it. Uh, and hopefully that that goes a little further and it starts to solve that problem is, you know, technology often predates solutions for right. absorbing it. And this is a good example. Um, and so, you know, envir- environmental hazards of batteries are real. Uh, but more importantly, we need to be thinking about these things deliberately because the next step is recycling car batteries, right? And they are massive, right? And so if you can't recycle the little battery that came with your kid's toy, right. imagine the challenges we're going to have when, when all of these electric cars, you know, they probably have a lifespan of give or take 12 years, start to come back around and we have to figure out what to do with, you know, their components. 
uh, especially the lithium ion batteries. Yeah, that's kind of a lot of things we hear from people who are opposed to electric cars is, you know, basically we're, we're having these ticking time bombs that are creating this big kind of waste issue. Mm-hmm. What, what is the reality of, of recycling a car battery? And is it, is it kind of possible to recycle it back into a, a new battery? Well, now you, you, you know, you, so you can reuse a lot of these things for, you know, secondary uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all the components are in theory recyclable, but, but if they're mixed in with all, you know, the rest of the waste stream, right. that's really challenging. Um, and, and so, you know, I think a good example of the, the challenge we face is uh, solar, right? So solar panels, as of 20 years ago, became, you know, incentivized and relatively common. Uh, but it turns out a solar panel doesn't have, an, an, you know, a, a perpetual lifespan either. Right. Uh, it's about 20 years. So a lot of those early solar panels are coming uh, offline, and it turns out we don't know how to recycle them in California, you know, much less absorb, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the, the large numbers that are com- coming in. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's equally true that we really haven't thought uh, about how to recycle car batteries, especially where every model is different. Uh, and, you know, when I'm done with my Tesla, um, there's no central recycling facility for that Tesla. Chances are when you're done with a Tesla, you've got a degraded battery, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to turn it in or sell it right. uh, on the secondary market. But when that battery's, you know, falls below some level where it's useful, it will be taken out either as part of a salvage operation or a replacement operation. And, you know, we need to think about how to do that. Uh, Because, you know, just think about 20 million cars, give or take on the roads in California. Right. If and when, you know, some, you know, the, the, let's say 60%, 12 million of those are battery uh, cars, you know, that's a, that's a ton of mass coming in uh, every, every year as, as, you know, that share comes offline. Um, and we haven't really thought about those things, nor have we thought, I think, seriously about the front end environmental impacts of mining lithium ion, all these other things. So yeah, these things are complicated. Right. Yeah. And, so, and so we can rightfully uh, try and move off of fossil fuels because we know how they work and the damage they do. Uh, but there's there's no silver bullet. We're going to have to account for the, you know, the, the, the downstream impacts of, of batteries as well at some point. Right. And that's where we as legislators have an obligation and so I may say have six years left in my term limit. It's just as important for me, right, to think about 20 years down the road as we make policy today about recycling as it is about next year. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm always uh, aware of that. And I, I, I hope my colleagues are as well. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of interesting is because, you know, you come up with these solutions and we're always pushing forward. Right. But, you know, you, you don't think about the other half. And like, you know, 50 years ago, we thought nuclear power was, was great until we we're like, oh, what about the waste? <laughs> right. So, yeah, right. You know, coming coming full circle and always thinking about uh, these things full term is, is always important. Glad you guys are taking a look at that. Well, <laughs> we should be. I mean, yeah. don't assume we are. It's, <laughs> I, you know, so I, I'm glad that you're going to hopefully force, you know, all of us to think seriously about these things. Uh, yeah. um, so, you know, your district's changing a bit in, in two years. You're going to take a little bit more of the coast. Um, and, and with that is, is a lot of responsibility, right? We have a lot of interest in protecting our oceans and things like that. Something you started this year was the uh, California Ocean Corps. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about well, that? Well, to be clear, it's something I tried to start, right? So, oh. so let's put it in context. So <laughs> yeah, something I tried to start. So, um, so you know, a lot of your listeners will recall in, in 2021, mm-hmm. there was an oil spill. Yep. Uh, a pipeline was ruptured off the coast of Southern California, off Huntington Beach. Um, and it turned out not to be a large spill, but, but the environmental impact was still huge. Um, and, and so what was also uh, kind of alarming to realize is that we didn't really have the resources or the workforce uh, to very quickly respond to the environmental impacts caused uh, by an oil spill of that nature. Uh, and so the idea came to me through the, 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 the Orange County Conservation Corps, a, a wonderful woman named Catherine Munoz, 
uh, who's the executive director, who, who they, you know, the Conservation Corps, if you're aware of it, does uh, a lot of workforce development around um, conservation, right? You know, wild, you know, forest uh, management, a bunch of other things, coastal uh, uh, cleanups uh, in the canals and stuff around Orange County. And so she had the idea, which made sense to me, which was like, there should be a program to train young people in so you know on kind of the skills needed for for environmental uh, disaster response for for you know, coastal restoration for climate change, um, and so you know we're applying the same model that they've used to build Conservation Corps. I proposed legislation that would create something called the California Ocean Corps, uh, and the idea was you know kind of obvious that you know we should have a trained workforce uh, in the event that we have uh, the need in the future, um, and so it, as it moved through the legislative process, it was most I think largely unanimous. Right. Uh, but in the appropriation stage, the budget allocation that we'd included in the legislation was removed. Uh, and then it got to the governor's desk and it, it was vetoed. Right. Um, and, it, you know, his veto reason was, you know, lack of funding. Uh, funding, right? right? So, you know, he didn't want to make a commitment, obligate funding for something where we didn't know for sure uh, that we would have the funding. And I, I guess I respect that generally. But the need still remains, right? And and so, you know, I'll, I'll, we're going to go back at it uh, next legislative year to see if we can't figure out, you know, a similar idea, uh, maybe different legislative strategy to right. hopefully get that done. Because it seems like something that does happen every, you know, few years, right? There's there's some kind of disaster that happens and, you know, you need right. to be ready to respond. Right. And, and again, I mean, you know, so not only are the environmental impacts substantial, the impacts on the local economy are equally important to consider. Right. right. So, you know, we, 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 we actually generate way more revenue, like within our economy, for tourism, kind of coastal related things than we do on energy. Not that there's not a need, you know, over time to have a good source of energy. And so, you know, you're, you're smart if you, if you can figure out how to minimize the impacts if and when these things happen. Yeah. Kind of earlier, we were talking about the problem solvers and you're like, you know, there's, there's low hanging fruit there, things, you know, bipartisan things we can focus on. First thing you mentioned was elections. And that's something that you've kind of been focused on uh, focusing on lately kind of uh, fairness and fundamental kind of dem democratic processes, you know, something you've been working on. What are some of the things that, you know, you're looking at in this space and kind of going forward uh, things that, you know, you think that we can achieve? So, you know, for, for reasons I might not have chosen, uh, I'm as knowledgeable about recall processes mm -hmm. as, as anybody, right? right. So it's, anybody who's watching is knowledgeable as that, you know, I, I was recalled in, in, in starting 2017, but eventually in 2018, um, in, in response to the legislature raising the gas tax through right. Bill SB1. Um, and, and I would argue, you know, I was one of 81 people who voted for a bill. Uh, and because, as you mentioned earlier, I, I was, you know, the the, uh, the winner of a very close election, the first Democrat to hold, you know, what had been a Republican seat, you know, for like four years. Um, I was the obvious target for a recall effort, you know, in the aftermath of raising people's gas taxes. Um, and so... Um, you know, as they say, the guillotine is, is a wonderful way to focus one's attention. Uh, and so when you look at California's recall statute, um, it, 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 you know, it's part of a, a you know, a, a portfolio, three different provisions that right. date back to 1911 uh, to progressive reformers who at the time were trying to solve for the problem where California was being dominated by commercial interests, especially the railroads. So it made sense in 1911 to create, you know, a safety valve, as it were. So through the recall of the initiative of the referendum so that the public uh, could have recourse in the event that its government, you know, was not responsive, you know, or they wound up saddled with, you know, malfeasance or, or corrupt public officials. Right. Um, and so the, the recall, as it was originally created, has two components, right? You have the first question, which is, you know, should, you know, Josh Newman be recalled from the Austin State Senate? And if so, you know, who should replace the recall person? 
Uh, and that second question was necessary in 1911, right? Where effectively like the railroads kind of owned the political process, right? So you, you could propose somebody else. Today, it creates a different, you know, set of incentives, which is, you know, it, it allows people, uh, and we saw this with the gubernatorial recall effort, it, you know, it allows for a small group to go out and secure the necessary number of uh, signatures, which, you know, we can argue about the number, but they're low enough that it's achievable um, to, in order to get through a special election what they couldn't get through a regular election. Right. Uh, and so that's what we saw last year through the, the governor's, the attempt to recall the governor, where, you know, he won with a very convincing margin, but, you know, they secured enough signatures, especially during the pandemic, to to get the recall going. And that created uh, a bunch of incentives because Larry Elder, for instance, who never would have run as a candidate in the general, uh, had an opportunity through, you know, this very strange, very specific uh, opportunity to to become governor of California. Um, that the presence of that second question creates a set of incentives, I think, that were never intended so I've got a, a constitutional amendment that I'll be reintroducing this year uh, that would reform the state's recall provision to keep the first question. By all means, let, let, let's give you know the people the right to to expel uh, an, an otherwise you know unfit member. Uh, but in the event that they are, we should we should use uh, you know the existing means for replacing people. So mm-hmm. if, the, if the governor were to go on do something else or God forbid pass away, the lieutenant governor would would ascend to that office. So in the event that the governor is corrupt and we need to, to recall him or her, the lieutenant governor till the next election, I think, should replace the governor. If you do that, you take a lot of the politics out of it. It becomes, right. well, I think what was intended becomes a matter of integrity or, or morality, right? Um, and then if it's if it's a constitutional officer, the governor could reappoint uh, till the next next election. And if it's a legislator, same as if, you know, I went off and did something else or uh, or God forbid died, right. uh, they'd have a special election to replace me. So I, I think if we did that, uh, it makes sense. Uh, and then then it sort of solves for some of the political friction uh, where people are, everybody's gaming everything right. these days, right? And the and partisanship, you know, leads to, you know, this sort of intensive sort of Cold War where, um, you know, there's a loophole for anything. And if, if there's a loophole, somebody will find it. That happens to be kind of a constitutional weakness that's been exploited in a bunch of ways that I don't think were intended uh, so I think that's part of the solution. No, interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's election season right now. Uh, what, next Tuesday is 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 election day. Uh, some some you know, what are some of the things that you know that are, are are an issue that a lot of us aren't front of mind, and some some other things you're working on. So I I mean to be clear, like I'm not up for election. No, I know on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, so I I'm I I have an odd numbered Senate right. district, so that you know Senate has 40 members, so we run 21 cycle, 20 the other. Right. Uh, and so I'm, I, I haven't enjoyed an election season this much for a long, for a long Sit time. Sit back and watch. That's right? awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, the, so the things I think, you know, so, so there's, there's a lot of new blood coming in, you know, because of the, the intersection of term limits on the one hand and then redistricting on the other. So, so we're going to see, you know, a, a very large number of new members of the legislature because uh, there are a whole bunch of races where there's, you know, there's, there's no incumbent right. uh, who's running for your election. So, you know, every district is different, but I think at the macro level, homelessness is a big deal, uh, you know, for people. Crime has, is, is an equally big deal. Cost of living in California is appropriately a big deal. Uh, and and you know, so those three things uh, together, I think, are informing a lot of voters' uh, sensibilities when it comes to whom they might choose to represent them in the next cycle. Uh, you know, and so again, at, at the local level, each candidate handles it differently. Right. Uh, and so I, I, I'm, you know, I think just good enough to figure out how to get myself elected or, you know, or maybe lucky enough. Right. And, and so I, I, you know, in watching other people do their thing or, 
Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it, democracy is a fascinating thing. Has anybody uh, asked to borrow the ice cream truck? I, yes, I, <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have lent the, you know, so I, I have lent the, you know, the, 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 the ice cream truck to yeah. lots of, uh, you know, some of my neighbors who are running for like lesser, you know, lower office, I should right. say lesser school district, city council, uh, made the mistake of, of lending the, the ice cream truck to somebody in Santa Monica, uh, whom I didn't really know very well. He seemed like a decent guy, but it turns out he's not the favorite dude and a whole bunch of people I know are all mad at me because of it. Um, so uh, I, I'd say to anybody, go out and buy your own ice cream truck. I, I, it's I a no-brainer. Yeah, it's a no-brainer, right? It's yeah, like, I mean, can you wrap yeah. the ice cream sandwiches and like, you know, Newman for Senate? No, we, we had that we had that old discussion, right? Yeah. Where, when I did and I had a bunch of friends. FPPC like, number. No, no, so everybody said like, you know, you got to get a, a, find an ice cream company that'll make it like package it for right. your private label. And then I realized like people are just going to unwrap it and throw the wrapper mm -hmm. away. So when you, you know, during campaign season, when you get an ice cream sandwich for me, you get a generic ice cream sandwich, but you get a little pamphlet, right? And so my wife was funny. She was like, well, you know, what about people who are like lactose intolerant, right? Or, or, or vegan or whatever. And then this though, is like, you know what? They, they can have the pamphlet, right? Like right. it's free. Like, that. Yeah. and it turns out enough people were like, you know, my daughter doesn't eat milk. Right. So we carry popsicles now, yeah. you know, the things, the things branded ice cream. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, you know, you know, but you know, I thought like at that price, yeah. I, you know, I get to choose. Uh, so you get a popsicle. That's the other option. That's good. Yeah. Good diversity there. All inclusive <laughs> right. uh, ice cream truck. Right. Uh, you know, I guess you know now that you you know you're not running, you kind of have this time to kind of sit back and think. Uh, we have a new session coming up, new year, two year session. Kind of, are you coming up with bill ideas? And do you already have ideas of things you want to do next year that you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I got a, I got a bunch, right? So, and yeah. which is when I say I, so my, you know, my my office, my staff. So I so I think we, you know, we've got probably twenty five concepts we're kind of working through that that you know they, they either originated idea I had, staff had, uh, where a constituent came with an idea or, you know, or, or an advocate came and said like, hey, there's a problem that needs solving. So over the next two months, you know, uh, the, the bill submission deadline is February 15th, give or take. Um, we'll, we'll pare that down. Um, it, it, you know, oddly, people probably don't realize like, you know, legislative session is defined as two years. And within each session, every member has a quota of how many bills you're allowed to introduce. And so in the Senate, where there's 40 members, our quota is tw is 40 or 20 per year on average mm -hmm. per member. In the Assembly, you know, for whatever reason, where there's twice as many members, it, they have a quota of 50, you know, or give or take 25 per year. Uh, and that is why, more than anything, like why when people watch, there's so many bills, right? You know, especially at the end of the year, there's this tidal wave of legislation that we're, you know, sort of working our way through. Um, and so, my, you know, I've, I've typically carried between 12 and 15 bills a year. Uh, last year, I was, I think, successful insofar as I got 10 of the 11 uh, signed, you know, through and, and, and signed by the governor. The one being the one we discussed, right. 1036. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at a bunch of bills that, you know, that are, again, election reform, uh, energy related. Um, you know, you know, I've got some ideas about um, uh, housing, um, zoning, a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't want to commit to anything because you wind up as you research these things, you, you find out what uh, either needs to be done or the challenges in doing what you what seems really obvious going right. in, uh, you can often find yourself really surprised that turns out either the the impact on a particular function is way more substantial than you think, or the unintended impact is uh, is not something you've considered. Yeah, one th one thing kind of you mentioned before we started was kind of this uh, driver's license issue for for kids. Uh, <laughs> yes, in yes. high school. My best that, idea. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> I'm glad you're presenting yeah. that way. So my best idea. Uh, it, it, it maybe, um, and the idea is, you know, everybody in California has either an ID card or a driver's right. license, right? And if you're driving, you're required to have it. 
But in my experience, most people don't like their driver's license photo. And you are stuck with that thing for you know, 10 for, years for a while, right? Yeah. For a while. Um, and so the, the idea is what if you let people pay a little extra um, to get the driver's license photo that they actually like, right? And so there's, there's a couple of scenarios. One is you go in and I can pay like, you know, like being at the county fair, I can more tries to win. So if I get to see my picture, I don't right. like it. I can pay a couple of bucks, take it again, take it again till I like it, right? And so, and or there's other, another scenario. Like, like lobbyists of, with their headshots, right? Well, totally. <laughs> and the, the other scenario is, you know, sort of like your, your passports, you can go ahead right. and take it at a, at a studio and, you know, they can glam you up as right. long as it meets the spec, right? You know, you're looking in the camera and you're not smiling and all that stuff. You could pay a hundred bucks. Maybe the state would get its fair share of that. Mm -hmm. And and I think there's a bunch of money there. I feel like, you know, I've been market testing this idea. Like very few people like their driver's license photo. I mean, like most people are talking, like I pay extra. Um, and so I don't know that the DMV likes this. I had a meeting with Steve right. at the DMV to kind of prep him for this brilliant idea I have. But the goal is actually not just that. The, 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 the Part of the goal, uh, you know, of, of this idea is to generate funds to fund driver's education in the public schools. And many people may not be aware of this, especially if you don't have kids. And if you're my age, you probably took driver's ed in school, right? You had a classroom component and mm -hmm. most schools had a, had that car that had like the two steering wheels, right. two sets of brakes and the, you know, your teacher drove with you. That doesn't exist anymore in California. As of certainly 2008 after the recession, when we had to make some really hard choices on, on priorities, a lot of things fell by the wayside, including driver's ed at schools. Now it's technically still in the curriculum, but if you've got a child, right, who's 16 years old or 16 and a half when you're eligible to get your license, that kid can't get their driver's license unless they've taken an accredited driver's ed course. And you can only take those courses through private entities. And it's expensive. It's about $600 on average, um, which is, you know, for working parents, that's real money, especially right. if you don't have a car that you can, you know, lend to your kid to do all this stuff or take them out to drive when they're when they're doing it. And so that has that has a real impact on on young people and on families with young people, right? So if you're if you're a kid from a family of means, you can do that. You can start driving at sixteen and a half. You can go out and get the kind of employment experiences that we all took for granted, uh, because you can get to work, you can get to you know your teams, et cetera. Right. If you're from a family that doesn't do that, um, you can't, right? And so you know, so that gap compounds, right? And that that broader question about income inequality and you know sort of the the, the differences that uh, sort of devolve around that are real in California. <clears throat> and there's also a safety concern. I mean, all the studies show that somebody who has taken driver's ed is, is a demonstrably uh, better driver uh, for the first five years of their driving than somebody who has not. Um, you know, we all pay a price for that. So, so you know, serious policy goal, you know, with kind of a, you know, otherwise kind of um, um, fun idea around the, 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 the pictures. Uh, but if we do that, I think, I think it, would, it would make a difference. No, no, that's yeah. shocking to me that, you know, that driver's ed isn't free anymore. And the kind of not big, a, not at uh, all. big uh, discrepancy between haves and haves not there. Right. Uh, maybe that's why, you know, everyone's saying, uh, you know, a lot of kids aren't getting their driver's license anymore. That's probably a, a big Well, you know, I, I believe, you know, there's this conversation. Yeah. Where oh, you know, kids are so into their devices right. and they do the ride share. Uh, but but people only, you know, sort of gravitate toward things that are, you know, within their the realm of the possible for them. And so so if, if you're not, if your family's never going to pay for driver's ed, you know, you, you probably think differently. Right. right. So, so, you know, th you know, again, like I'm aware, think of all those experiences I had as a teenager that, that involved getting from A to B in a car. Um, and you know, when I got, I got my license the day, I think the day I could get my license, uh, and then the whole world opened up, I could do a bunch yeah. of stuff. 
if, if it didn't, you know, I'd, I'd have had different experiences. No, definitely. Yeah. Well, Josh, it's been awesome talking with you. you learned a lot. Uh, definitely going to look you up on uh, YouTube to see that uh, viral uh, Fembot uh, scene. Uh, <laughs> You're definitely looking forward to All right. So, to that. so for your listeners, you can search it. So I don't know why, but that one scene is, is, is actually um, excerpted on YouTube. So if you right. just use the word Fembot, in the search bar and it'll come up either the first or second one. It's like a minute 43 or minute 46. Right. I forget what. And it's that scene. And you'll see it's, it's like, it, I'm not over promising anything. It's really brief. But if, if you look, I'm the middle guard, I'm the middle guard. It gets shot right. uh, by, by the fembots. You're definitely one of the more uh, interesting members you had on. You have a bear suit, an ice cream truck. I right, with the bear profile. suit. <laughs> <laughs> but thank get, you. Get at it. Thank and if you. our listeners want to follow you along on, on social and stuff like that, uh, where can they find you? Oh God, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. really pay attention to my social. So like, I, I, just Google it. You'll yeah. find it. I, I'm embarrassed, but I, I, I can never remember. I have some. <laughs> a modest man. A no, modest I, I just, man. I, I, I'm, I don't know. Totally. Sorry. Yeah. All right, Josh. All right. Well, thank you so much. Great talk with thank you. Thank you for having me. All right.